All you have to do is decide what to do with the time that has been given to you. Powerful wisdom from the wise old sage Gandalf to Frodo Baggins, uh, the, young, uh, the young man in the Lord of the Rings movies. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Just show of hands. You're in church. Don't lie. It's okay to... It's okay to admit that, right? It's okay to admit that, right? Hey, by the way, praise God for our worship team this morning. We give God praise for them, absolutely. I kind of got the hots for the lead singer up here. And if you're new, you're freaking out. We happen to be married, so that's okay. Uh, we're, we're thankful for all of our musicians here as well. What will you do with the time that has been given to you? Says Gandalf to Frodo. What will you do with that time? If, if you know anything about the stories, even if you don't, Frodo is this little hobbit from the Shire, this, this quaint little village, and all of a sudden he, he acquires the ring, the one ring to rule them all, and he has the power in the palm of his hand, of his hand to destroy or save all of Middle-earth, as it's called, the whole world at the time. And Gandalf is giving him this wisdom as he finds himself swept up into a much bigger story than himself. And it's one of beauty and heroism and danger and, and disaster and, 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 and mystery and many unknowns. And he's looking for wisdom. And maybe this wisdom from Gandalf is not just for Frodo, but it's for all of us. What will you do with the time that you have? Because the reality is, just like Frodo, we don't get to choose the circumstances of our lives all the time, do we? We don't get to, under, uh, to, to decide what, what situations or what curveballs life throws our way. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, man, life has just thrown me some curveballs recently. It's, it's taken some unexpected twists and turns that you never saw coming. When it comes to time and the time that we have left, maybe some of you feel like time is just flying by. If you have young kids, you know you've heard me say that before. The days are really long but the years are short, aren't they? And they just fly by and all of a sudden your kids are in diapers and they're graduating, right? Sometimes it feels like life goes by so quickly, right? Where's the summer going, right? Time flies when you're having fun. We say things like that, right? For others of you, it feels like time could not be going slower. It feels like molasses, right? Because you're waiting for something today. You're waiting for a new job. You're waiting for a new opportunity. You're waiting for a, a new relationship. You can't wait to, 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 to meet your new little one. You're expecting a little baby. Maybe you're waiting for, to, to see a loved one once again, and time couldn't move fast enough. When you think about it, time is the one thing that we kind of all have in common, right? It's this one valuable commodity in our lives that we all have in common. We're very, we're very different. We're a very diverse church. One of the things I love about Hope is that we're all different from a variety of backgrounds, where we live, where we're from, where we were born, what our church backgrounds are, what our beliefs are on things. We're all different. And yet the one thing we have all in common is that we have 24 hours in the day. And if you found more than that, I would love to talk with you afterwards, right? We always say it never seems like there's enough time to do all the things that we want to do, to get our to-do lists done, to meet all the demands and priorities of our lives. We all have 168 give or, uh, hours in a week, right? If you think about it, and it's kind of broken up into three categories. In that 168 hours that you have in a given week of your life, 56 of those hopefully are spent sleeping. If you average around seven to eight hours, or if you have young kids like we do, it's a little bit less than 56 hours during the week, right? A little bit less sleep than that. And for the, a lot of us work, whether you work inside the home or out, uh, outside of the home, that's another 56 hours. If you're working seven, eight, nine hours a day, it's give or take 56 hours a week. There's still that last third left. What are you doing with the last 56 hours of your week? 
every week. Because the reality is, is the way that we spend our days will be how we spend our weeks, and the way we spend our weeks will be how we spend our years, and the way we spend our years will be your lasting legacy on this earth. How, what are you doing with the time that's been given to you? You might think, well, John, that's kind of a cheesy question and a cute little video clip and everything like that. Here's where it hits home. This past week, I led a funeral for a 29-year-old young man. 29. Cancer. One of the things I am looking forward to the most when Jesus comes back and makes all things new is no more cancer. Amen? No more cancer. I'm excited for that day. 29. 29. Some of us think, I'm going to live forever. I got my whole life ahead of me, right? So I'll get around to it. I'll get around to making faith a priority or getting my kids to worship or whatever it is. I'll get around to those things I've always wanted to do. I would say that 80 to 90% of the people at that funeral were under the age of 40. What are you going to do with the time you have left? Every single one of us has a finite amount of time on this earth. The question is, are you living for things that matter most? Are you living for the things of eternity? He knew he had a couple months left, and I will tell you this. This young man made the most of the time that he had left. But you and I, we don't always live with that sense of urgency, do we? We just kind of lollygag through life sometimes and and get kind of lazy about what's truly important. What are you going to do with the precious time that you have left on this earth? That's not meant to be a burden type of question. That's meant to be seen as an opportunity. How will you use the time that's been given to you? And that was the question that was posed to a young woman named Esther in our Bible reading today. And that's the question that we're going to seek to answer. How do you make the most of time? So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Esther, chapter 3. Esther, chapter 3. If you need a Bible, they're in the back at the kiosk. Grab one on your way out. It's our gift uh, to you. If you want to pull out your phones and use your Bible app, we encourage you to do that as well. I'll trust you, but if you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon, all right? So Esther chapter 3, if you're new to the Bible, it's about a third of the way through. Esther is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the uh, older part of the Bible, the, the first part, and then the New Testament comes second. If this is the first time you've cracked open a Bible in a long time, praise God. That's awesome. We love it that you're here. It's never too early. It's never too late. So we're going to start a little bit before our reading today in Esther chapter 3. We just kicked off this series. Chris kicked it off for us last week in our kind of Bible book of the month club. If you're following along at Hope this year, uh, in the month of June, we did First and Second Samuel. Now in the month of July, we're doing the book of Esther. And our story lands us in Susa. Everybody say Susa. Susa is the capital of the Persian Empire at that time that it was expanding. And here we meet a young woman named Esther who is a part of the, the Israelite nation and her Jewish heritage and her culture with her family. Some of the Jewish nation had stayed in exile. The, the, the land, uh, the, the nation of Israel was scattered throughout the earth and some of them were in uh, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire at the time. And then some stayed and they are living there and they've made family and they've made friends and they're making a living there and they're under, they're in exile and they're under the rule of the evil king Xerxes. Well, one of the Jews that stayed, her name was Esther and she's kind of in a roundabout way. She hid the fact that she was Jewish to save her life and she wins, as we learned last week, kind of a, a beauty pageant of sorts and all of a sudden she is seen as very beautiful and so King Xerxes says, I want you to be my Wife. It's kind of an arranged marriage, and she's the new queen, and there she is living in the palace in Persia. Now, pause right there. Some of you are like, okay, that's great, John. Like, what does this sermon have to do with me, right? I can't identify with Esther at all. I, I'm not royalty. I'm not living in a palace, right? I'm just trying to get my laundry done. That's kind of where I'm at today, okay? How can I relate 
with Esther, okay? Could not relate with her more. You got to go back in the story and be reminded that earlier in Esther's life, both of her parents die. And so she's raised by her first cousin, Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. She's raised, and add to that the fact that this was a patriarchal society, a male-driven society where the men were the head of the household and women were way farther down on the ladder of society, kind of almost seen as possessions, unfortunately, especially young women were just seen as possessions. I've got my livestock, I've got my house, I've got my cattle, I've got my ladies. And that was the harsh reality at the time, and Esther was one of them. And so you have, listen to this, you have an orphan, not just a woman, but a young girl living in a foreign land that is not her own under the oppression of an evil king. Her circumstances could not be any more unideal. She could not be any more ordinary, ironically, a lot like Frodo, right? I, I geek out about these things, but there are so many parallels between Lord of the Rings and the book of Esther. I'll do a whole sermon series on that sometime. So you can decide if you want to show up or not, but we'll save that for another time. All right. Frodo is a young, innocent, unassuming young man who is suddenly thrust into a larger story. Esther is a young, innocent, unassuming young woman that is suddenly thrust into a larger story. And it does, the parallels don't end there, but it's right here where we see our first key of how to make the most of the time that you have been given, and it's this. Key number one, God takes the ordinary. God takes the ordinary and does the extraordinary or the extraordinary, whether it's with things or people. Certainly Frodo and the Lord of the Rings, right? But all throughout scripture as well. We learned last month about David, this young shepherd boy that goes and defeats Goliath and saves the Israelite army and becomes the king of Israel. You think to it all the way to a teenage girl named Mary who is literally carrying the son of God inside of her. God takes the ordinary and does the extraordinary, just as he'll do with Esther. The Apostle Paul puts it this way thousands of years later as he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. He's reflecting back on the totality of Scripture and God's character and how he uses certain kind of people. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read it up on the screen together. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chooses the small, the weak, the ordinary, the unnoticed. And if that's you today, if you're feeling like, I'm on the, I'm on the outside looking in, I'm, I'm unnoticed. I, don't, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in of this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christian thing. Well, I've got really good news for you. God specializes in using people that think that they're ordinary, even though you're not. And why does God do that? He does it for two reasons. Number one, so God can get the credit and the glory. Because clearly, every time that something happens amazing in the Bible, it is not about that person, right? There's a lot of broken, imperfect, messed up, ordinary people in the Bible who do amazing things, not because they're amazing, but because we have amazing God, amen? It's never been about you. It's always about God through you. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor right now, look at him with a lot of Christian love and say, it's not about you. Tell him that right now. It's not about you. It's not about you. Some of you spouses really enjoyed that, right? <laughs> or you've got your kids sitting next to you, you're like, thank you, Pastor John. I'm waiting all week to tell people that, right? You're welcome. So why does God choose ordinary people? Number one, so he gets the credit and the glory. And number two, so that is there beyond a shadow of a doubt that no one, no one 
is disqualified from God's plan. Not even you, ordinary Christian, (laughs) as you think you are. Why is this a key to making the most of our time? Because most of us live life small. Most of us live into that false identity that I am a ordinary Christian. Let me say this, there are no ordinary Christians. If you are following Jesus, you have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave living inside of you today. And so wherever you go, you carry the power of God with you into your family, into your marriage, into your parenting, into your workplace, into your community, wherever you go. There is no such thing as ordinary. So let God redefine what ordinary means. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not a mishap. You are not, you are not scum. You are not a leftover. You are made in the image of God. And if you think that you are a mistake, if you think that you are ordinary, what does that say about the God that created you? God does not make mistakes. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are worth knowing. You are valuable. You are precious in his sight. And he has a plan for your life. Amen? Here's the thing, we don't live like it. We live ordinary, and we develop this this mindset called the justa mindset. Everybody say justa. 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 It goes like this, I'm just a teacher. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a work in finance. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a student. I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a receptionist, whatever it is. Frodo says, I'm just a little... Hobbit, how can I take on and defeat all these beasts and warriors? But the gist of mindset could not be more dangerous because the church is filled with people like you and I, with men and women, who God wants to use in extraordinary ways right where you are, where God has placed you in your life, whether your circumstances, just like Esther, are ideal or not. The just a minute, uh, mindset is so dangerous because it leads us to believe things like this. Well, John, I don't have a job in ministry, so I can't really make a difference. I can't share my faith. I have a secular job, right? I can't make an impact. I'm not real, really a, a, a leader, so I can't make any real change. I'm not famous, and so nothing I do is going to get noticed. I'm not a super spiritual Christian. I can't pray like some people can pray. And so God probably listens to their prayers more than my prayers, right? And what we do is we miss the opportunities that God has all around us. We live into a false identity of ordinary Christian of which there is no such thing. There is no such thing. Reminds me of a a story that I want to show you here in a bit in the next video of a young gal that's living in Thailand. Her name is Pa. And she's 17, and she lives in Thailand, which is 95% Buddhist. Everybody is Buddhist, not Christians at all, nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, that's looked down upon, and to some extent, she's risking her life in that. Watch as Pa, a teenager, a 17-year-old girl, looks at her unideal circumstances, just like Frodo, just like Esther, and says, God, how can you use me exactly where you've placed me? Let's take a look. I don't know how much time God will give me on this earth. And so I'm going to use all the time I have left that I can for the sake of others. What were you doing when you were 17? I was just thinking about that for myself, right? I was chasing girls and trying not to sweat too much. I don't know what you were doing at 17, but I wasn't thinking about eternity. But maybe we should. What are you going to do with the time that you have left? A young girl 
in completely unideal circumstances, surrounded by people that believe something completely different than her, and yet she's not using that as an excuse. She's seeing it as an opportunity to see what has God given me and how can I use that for his kingdom, just like Esther. What is your... She's using nail polish to share her faith, to evangelize. What's holding you back? What has God given you? What has he put in your hands to use? Whether it's nail polish or relationships or your job or your community or the parents you sit at the soccer game with. What opportunities is God putting in front of you? It's time to let go of the I'm an ordinary Christian language. To stop living lazy, passive lives when it comes to sharing our faith. And let God redefine what extraordinary means. Oh, I'm not extraordinary, John. I'm just, a, I'm just an ordinary Christian. What if extraordinary wasn't about money, fame, power, wealth, all those things? What if living an extraordinary life is simply surrendering your limitations to God? I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too young. I'm too uneducated. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know how to pray. I can't volunteer. I can't lead. Whatever your limitations are, surrendering them to God and asking, God, what do you want to do through me? Just like Pa, just like Esther. And so when the opportunity comes for Esther to be the queen, she had every right to say, you know, God, I've screwed up. If you read the book of Esther, it's like PG-13 rated R, okay? We're not going to go through the whole thing. But Esther royally screwed up, no pun intended, okay? She made her fair share of mistakes even before becoming the queen. God uses ordinary people, and she had every excuse to say, my past. I can't step into this. I can't do this. I can't be used by God. But she didn't, and she discovered the second big key to making the most of our time, and it's this. Often, opportunities are disguised as obstacles. Often, opportunities are disguised as obstacles. If you're following along, look at that uh, uh, Esther chapter 3, where we opened to earlier, and we pick up the story in, in uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 8. There's an evil man named Haman, okay? When his friends wanted to get attention, they would just say, hey man, over here. That was better than 915, okay? Now, that's a dad joke, okay? Dads, you with me? That's a really bad dad joke, and I can own it because I am one, okay? So, Haman, come over here. Haman was an evil man, and he had risen to power next to King Xerxes, and he had this evil plot that he wanted to come and basically wipe out all the Jews that were living in the Persian Empire. This evil, basically a holocaust, and King Xerxes agrees to it. And so they're going to do this, and they put the plans in place. Well, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, gets word of this, and so she sends this man named Hatak to go as a messenger to Esther and try to convince her that maybe because of her place, her royal influence, that she has the ear of the king, maybe she could convince them essentially to save her own people, okay, and beg for the lives of thousands of people. So you turn the page to chapter 4. That sets up the story in chapter 3. Now we get to Esther chapter 4, verse 11. We get Esther's response. She says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned has but one law, that they would be put to death. So if I even approach the king, Esther is risking her life, okay, unless he extends the golden scepter. And then the last part there. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now, keep in mind that Esther and the king are married. She has not seen him for 30 days, 
And any time that she wants to approach him, she fears for her life. I wonder if we could get him connected with a good Christian marriage counselor. What do you guys think, right? <laughs> how would those sessions go? The counselor says, so, guys, tell me how's it going. Well, okay. <laughs> Number two, I want you to see that Esther, the biblical heroine of this story, she's got a book of the Bible named after her, right? Is paralyzed by fear. That's her first response. And some of you are as well. God is calling you to something. God is calling you to take a step of faith. He's asking you to make a decision. And you are just frozen in fear because of the what ifs of the future. That's where some of you are at right now here. That, well, what if this happens? What if this goes wrong? What if that doesn't go the way that I want it to? What if God doesn't come through? What, what if, what if, what And we're just frozen by fear. These examples are all around us, but what Esther didn't realize at first, and neither do we, is that opportunities are often disguised as obstacles. Not just here in Esther, but examples are all around. Speaking of great films, Lord of the Rings, anybody remember the old film Jaws? Anybody remember that? Steven Spielberg, Jaws, quite a few people, right? It was about a shark. Okay, glad we're all together on that, right? Well, here's the thing. When you make a full-length feature film movie about a shark, you can't exactly just find a nice shark, you know, and then just have him, like, pay attention and do what you want him to do. Like, okay, take seven, you know, like, bite him this way, right? So you have to build a shark. So Steven Spielberg, this is one of his big first films, right? A couple days into the shooting, they, they build this automated shark, and it breaks. When you have a movie about a shark, and you don't have a shark, right? Everybody on the cast and crew is freaking out. The producers are freaking out. We're going to lose millions of dollars. What are we going to do? We can't have a shark. And so everybody else is freaking out and sees the obstacle standing in their way. Spielberg famously takes a step back and thinks about it and says, maybe there's an opportunity in the midst of this obstacle. And what he does is he says, let's try a new uh, cinematic technique and let's use kind of onimous, mysterious music to set up the scene. And then let's not show full shots of the shark because, well, we don't have one, but what we do have is parts of the shark. And maybe we just show a little bit of the fin coming in the water. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody with me? Dunna, 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 right? That part almost didn't happen because they would have given up and said, well, our plan didn't go the way we expected it, so we're going to wash our hands and say, movie over. Spielberg sees the opportunity that's disguised as an obstacle, and now film students to this day study the cinema techniques that Spielberg used on accident in Jaws, and Jaws went on to still become one of the highest grossing films of all time. Why? Because the opportunity was disguised as an obstacle, and Steven Spielberg took the time to look at it. But it's not just in Hollywood. It's in our story. It's in God's story. You want to talk about an obstacle? How about David and Goliath, right? Everybody else sees an obstacle. What does David see? An opportunity for God to kick some you-know-what, right? To demonstrate God's power, right? In the obstacle, God's going to show up in a big way and destroy the Philistines, right? Jesus is teaching 5,000 people, and then they're, they're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's, there's not even a Casey's or a come and go that close, I mean, and, and, and there's no food, and so what do they do? And everybody sees the obstacle. Everybody's starving. Jesus says, oh, there's an opportunity here. A little boy with a little Lunchable sack lunch over here. Come on over, blesses it, feeds 5,000 people. Jesus saw the opportunity in the middle of the obstacle to demonstrate God's provision, that he's always enough, Right? Often, opportunities are, are disguised as 
obstacles. And it's not just, in, it's now. It's the people sitting around you here today. There are people in this church that have struggled with a variety of things and they've seen the obstacle, but in that they've seen the opportunity. I know that there are people sitting around you here today. It's been a tough year for a lot of marriages, I know, for a lot of you. And in the obstacle of that, there's a lot of you that were up against it in your marriages and your relationships and you could have just called it quits. Man, marriage is hard, isn't it? 20, 30, 40 years into it, some of you could have just called it quits. Two years into it, five years into it. This is way too hard. But you didn't. You didn't give up. You didn't quit. You got help. You got a counselor. You joined a small group. You got accountability. You didn't quit. And because of that, in the middle of the obstacle, you now have the opportunity. You are experiencing a depth and a richness and a love and an intimacy in your marriage that you never would have unless if you would have given up. You would have missed the opportunity. There are dozens of young parents. You may notice we have a ton of baptisms here at the church. We have a lot of young families, praise God. And you're here this morning, and life is hard sometimes when you have little ones. And you're not getting anywhere close to eight hours of sleep at night. And the kids won't listen, and they won't pay attention. And you're barely made it here. I mean, they're fed and clothed. You're like, we're here, right? We're 17 minutes late, but we're here. Praise God that you're here. We're really glad that you're here, right? It's a tough season of life. And it's so easy when we're young parents like we are to just kind of mail it in and say, well, for the next 20 years, we're just not going to pay attention to church and put our faith on hold because it's just too hard and there's too many demands. But you don't. And we have more small groups starting at Hope Des Moines of young families, of young parents, of just married couples, of those that are getting ready to have their first child because they know they can't do it alone. And in the middle of the obstacle, they see the opportunity to dive into community. There are couples in this church that continue to struggle with infertility. And a lot of you are silent and maybe we don't even know. But instead of just seeing the obstacle, those that have been on the other side of those answered prayers and experienced the joy of childbirth are now reaching back to those that are still struggling with infertility and forming support groups and caring and praying for each other. Why? Because that's what we do as the church. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We see the opportunity in the middle of the obstacles. I talked to a young woman last week after a Saturday night service. It's not a life-threatening disease, but she's battling a, an illness, a struggle, a disease that she's going to deal with for the rest of her life, and she's in her mid-20s. And she said, John, I just don't know what to do. It feels like there's, just, there's no answers. And I said, I, I, w- I wish I had the answers, but I said, I do know this. You're in a position where you can either turn your back on God and get angry and bitter because of the things that you're going through, or you can lean in and you can press into the heart of God. And I guarantee you, if you do that in the middle of your obstacle, you have an opportunity in the middle of your suffering to experience an intimacy and a depth of faith that most people that are not suffering the way that you are will never get to experience. Some of you need to hear that today because you're right in the middle of it. Or with your kids, or with your aging parents, or with your own kids, or with a friend or family member. Do I believe that God causes these painful things in our lives, these tragedies to happen? No. But does he absolutely use them for good? Yes. And I wonder, and what I want to propose to you, is that I wonder if the places of our greatest pain and frustration are actually fertile ground to discover the creativity and the calling and the courage that God has put there all along. 
so many of us want the fruit without the process. We want the story of David without the process that David went through. We want the story and the results and the fruit of Esther's life without the pain and heartache and tragedy that she went through. Because of the social media world that we live in, we want the highlights that are on our feed. But what we don't see in social media is the pain and the suffering that most people are living with every single day. That's real life, and that's why the church matters. And that's why this is such an important place to come, that whatever you're up against today, ideal, unideal, ordinary, extraordinary, whatever you feel like, man, if you can't be real at church, where can you be real? Just bring it, and it's okay to not be okay at Lutheran Church of Hope. Amen? Amen. Just be who you are, and God meets us where we are right there, and that's what Esther was about to find out, to take a step of courage even in that. Mordecai sends this message back through Hattach, verse 13 in chapter 4. He says this to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Verse 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place, but for you and your father's family, you will perish. And then the most important and the key verse of the entire book of Esther, verse 14, let's read it together. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It's almost like Gandalf is speaking to Frodo, right? How do we make the most of the time that you have left? It's what Mordecai is encouraging Esther to do. Take every blessing and turn it into mission. Take every blessing, take every gift that you have and turn it into mission for God. For some reason, Esther finds herself married to the only man that can stop the Holocaust that she is married to the only man that can turn it around. And in this moment, Esther has a choice, fear or God's mission. And often that's the choice for us, fear or God's mission. What God is asking of Esther and what he's asking us in whatever situation we're in, now put yourself here, to ask this question, why has God put me here in this marriage, in this family, with these kids, as these kids teach her, as these kids mentor, mentor, as their grandparents, as their uncle and aunt, as their leader, as their boss, as the member of this team, as the member of this community, as the member of this small group, God, why have you placed me here for such a time as this? Why, or why has God blessed me with the things that he has? Why do I have this job? Why do I have this income? Why do I have this house? Why do I have the, the, the influence or the voice that I have? God blesses us, whether it's financially or whether it's gifts or talents or wisdom or skills or experience, just like Esther, not so you can keep it to yourselves and live a safe, small, comfortable life as a member of God's church. It's so you can give it away. As God's people, our identity is that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Way back in the book of Genesis, God speaks to the father of the Israelite nation, Abraham, I mean, Esther's great, 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 crazy uncle Abraham. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, and he says this, let's read it together. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The purpose of God's people all along was to be a light, was to be an example, to take the favor of God that was put upon them that we've received and for the church, for Christians to be the most generous, loving, servant-hearted people you will ever find. And yet I don't think that that's always the case. 
Unfortunately, as the church, often we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. We need to change that. Let's be the opposite of that. Let's be the people that love the most, that care the most, that serve the most, that love Jesus the most, that worship the most, because we've turned our blessings into mission. It's not for us. It's for others. Reminds me of kind of a goofy story. This had to be, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Now, my wife Tiffany, who was up here earlier, and I were out visiting some friends in Colorado, and we ended up at some sort of fair or carnival, and it was like hot. It was really hot, a lot like it is today, and like, we need to cool off. And so we found our way into this little arcade, and we walked in and quickly realized we were like 15 or 20 years older than anybody else there. I mean, it was like a little kitty arcade that was designed for, oh, I don't know, an eight-year-old, okay? And we're all in our mid to late 20s, and we're there. And, uh, and so my, my friend's like, well, let's cool off and play for five or 10 minutes. And so he, all he has is a 20, and he puts it in the token machine, right? And he thought it was one of those machines where, like, I'll get change, and then I'll buy five or six tokens, right? Well, no, we got $20 worth of tokens, which is enough to play in the arcade for seven hours, okay? We have a lot of tokens. I have never played so much skee-ball in my life, okay? I love it, but it was too much, right? You know that little basketball game where it's like this far and you take the basketball and it comes back to you, you know, that whole thing? I'm 6'1 and my arms are this long. The hoop was there and I'm here. I set world and Olympic records on the mini basketball game because I was just putting it in the basketball hoop. And all these small children are like, he's cheating! I'm like, too bad, Sonny, right? And it was the kind of arcade where you don't, you get tickets out when you win, you know what I mean? All these kids are like, I got five! And we have like 8,000 tickets. We spent an hour there. We have that in our hands, or more than that, right? And so you walk up to the counter, right, like Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, you go up to like, okay, what can we get for 8,000 tickets that we got here as adults that cheated our way through this? Like a stuffed walrus, like that's the best we can get, right? We look behind us and there's all these little kids with their parents behind us in this single file line and this kid behind us has eight tickets. He's like pumped. I got eight tickets, mom, right? Uh, what can you, uh, a Laffy Taffy, because that's what he always gets, right? And so I look at Tiffany and she looks at me, married couples, you know what I mean? You get the look. Yeah. You know, you don't have to say, it. it's just that nonverbal communication. You just look at each other and go, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You look at each other and we turn around and take this wad of tickets that's bigger than this kid's head. And we turn around and just say, hey, buddy, it looks like you don't have very many tickets. He's like, I got eight. And I'm like, well, how would you like to have all of these? And I just dump it on him on top of him. They're like falling out of his hands. He's like, are you kidding me? His mom's even more ecstatic. She's like, this is the greatest day of our lives. This is amazing. He's like, I can get the stuffed walrus now. Just amazing, right? And all these kids are like high-fiving him because I think he come, he's a local and he comes every day. It's the greatest day of his life, right? We didn't need it. It wasn't for us. But for some reason, we were blessed with that to give it away. And that's what it means to be the church, to be the most generous people on the face of the earth. God has not given you your job and your income so that you can be happy and make a ton of money. God has given you your job so that every day you can be the tangible love of Jesus Christ to your coworkers and whatever you make to give a ton of it away to people that need it more than you do. If you have a voice, if you're a leader, if you're a person of influence in any kind of way, God has not given you a voice to say whatever you want. God has given you a voice to, to speak out for those that don't have a voice and to be the mouthpiece for God wherever he's called you to be. If God has healed you, if you have a story, if you have a testimony to tell, it's not for you. 
Dozens of people in this church have been healed from a variety of addictions and substance abuse and a variety of medical conditions. God did not heal you so you could say, wow, that's cool that God did that for me. God gave you that story, that testimony, so you could share it with somebody else that's on the other side of healing to bring them hope and encouragement. Don't keep it to yourself. That's what it means to be God's people. We are blessed to be a blessing. God did not make Esther the queen so she could live a nice, safe, comfortable royal life. God made Esther the queen so she could take a step of courage, even into the face of death, for such a time as this. And that's exactly what she did as she enters the royal palace when opportunity comes knocking, literally, she walks through the doors up to her husband, the king, and stares death in the face to save her people. Let's take a look. I love that part of the story. I just want to say, you go, girl. You tell them. I love strong women leaders that step up with courage and faith, and we need more of them. Praise God for Esther. Praise God for strong women in the Bible that step into positions of leadership and set an example. Esther literally walked into the face of death and saved her people because of it. One step of courage. Now, it has been said, and it is widely known, that Esther is one of those books in the Bible that does not mention the name of God or Jesus or the Messiah once. Even the name of our sermon series that we're in is When God Seems Absent. And yet, because of scenes like that and Esther's story, if you look a little bit deeper, I think what we'll find is that the entire story is about Jesus. Hang with me. Watch this. Esther, an ordinary girl born into obscurity, grows up to become the leader of her people and at just the right time, essentially gives her life to rescue her people from death. Hit pause a few thousand years later. A little baby boy born in the obscure town of Bethlehem grows up to be the leader of his people and at just the right time rescues them from their sin and death. No, God is not absent in the book of Esther. The entire book is about Jesus. Every word on the page of the Old Testament whispers his name because 2,000 years later, the new and better Esther is Jesus Christ. That's the power of the Old Testament. The whole story points to him. And I don't know. I'm just looking at that, that idea. And maybe the places where God seems the most absent in your life are actually the places where he could not be closer. Maybe those moments in your past, in your story, where you felt so much hurt and betrayal and anger at God because he didn't show up and you felt so far away from him were actually the places when God, the times when God was the closest to you. The Psalms say, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And that's some of you today. And we feel that and we know that. But take heart and learn from Esther. He's calling out to you to take a step of courage. Will you make the most of the time that you have left? And here's the amazing thing and what I love about you as a church. You're an incredibly faithful church. 
Even just this last week, on Thursday night, a Thursday night in the middle of July, okay? This place was hopping. It was on fire. You've got a women's Bible study that's studying Esther that, ladies, you're still welcome to come to any week during the month of July to study the book of Esther. Packed out up there. We don't have enough room in the room up there for the amount of ladies that showed up. Downstairs, there's a men's Bible study called The Porch that meets every single Thursday night. Guys, you're always welcome to come to that. That Bible study's filling up. Next door, there's a baptism class to continue to, to teach and, and preach around the, the, the record number of baptisms that we've had this year. You walk in here into the worship center and the, the song and dance team for BBS is getting their Jesus groove thing on up here. And meanwhile, there's just dozens of people, droves of people just pouring in to paint giant fake Legos in the middle of July on a Thursday night. What is wrong with you people, right? The church is supposed to shut down during the summer, not this church, not a church that's laser focused on the mission of Jesus Christ because you've grasped the mission and you've turned every blessing just like Esther into an opportunity for mission take a step of courage. And maybe it's as simple as taking that postcard that's on your chair and thinking of that family down the street, thinking of that coworker, thinking of those grandparents that you're friends with or whatever. You got grandkids, you got kids. The entire trajectory of the faith life of families has been changed because somebody invited them to VBS. There are families that are a part of our church community because children have invited other children with a simple postcard, with a simple invitation. You want to know how high the bar is set? My six-year-old Caleb, I kid you not, has invited half, almost his entire kindergarten class from school to VBS. And some of he said, you know, some of them said no. And I said, that's okay, buddy. Sometimes that's, that's going to happen, right? Personally addressed envelopes, knocked on their doors and invited them, right? What's your excuse, okay? What's my excuse, right? One step of courage, whatever it looks like. And I do not think it is ironic that we're studying the book of Esther, which is all about courage. And that this last Thursday, I'm looking around this building going, we are using every square inch that we have. And you are gonna be hearing much more in the coming weeks about how this sermon series could not be more relevant to the future of this church. Because in the next few weeks or a month, there has been an opportunity that has been placed in front of us as a church that God is calling us to boldly take a step of courage into. And I can't tell you much more than that right now because the details are still coming together. But if that's not uh, enough to entice you other than a big Jesus party called VBS to be here the next three to four weeks, you are not going to want to miss it. God is literally knocking on our door with an opportunity and he is asking us to step into it with courage, to be the kind of church that's not going to settle for a safe, comfortable life, to not settle for just letting the building be the end result of our church, but to be those types of followers of Jesus that go out and make a difference in the world. And nobody loves like us, nobody serves like us, nobody cares like us, nobody listens like us, nobody invites people into the community, not a holy huddle, but invites people into the community like us because that's who our God is. Amen? It's time. It's time to take a step of courage. It's time to live for what matters most. And it's time to worship, regardless of whether you're in an ideal or unideal circumstance, whether you feel like your life is extraordinary or ordinary. When you came walking in those doors this morning, you encountered a living God in this room that is worthy of our worship and our praise no matter what. Amen? So the band's going to lead us in a final song. Let's stand wherever you are and let's worship to him together.